I find it fascinating that God frequently uses circumstances to teach us things, such as, like, things that you wouldn't expect. Um, when Mike was going, starting his suffering series, uh, I was probably going through one of the most intense periods of suffering in my entire life. Um, definitely top five, and thing, things were just definitely really rough. And um, then God made it to where Mike was preaching on suffering to help me through that. Isn't that amazing? Anyone else ever have stuff like that? So I bring that up because tonight, especially with this passage, um, it brings to light certain things that many people have struggled with. And I'm assuming uh, because God picked this one for me to teach on instead of a different one, I thought I was going to be teaching on Timothy and Epaphroditus, and then Dee said, oh no, it's actually this passage, so um, he's aligning circumstances, so I'm, I'm pretty encouraged by how he's really pulled this whole thing together. So, first slide. Philippians 3, 1 through 6, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that while I was sinning against you, you died for me. Thank you that while we were your enemies, you reconciled us to yourself. Lord, thank you that uh, we don't have to work our way into heaven. Thank you that we don't have to earn your approval, but that you've given it to us freely. Lord, I ask that you help this message make sense, that you help it sink into each one of our hearts, that what you have to say from your scriptures um, would ring true in each of our ears. We know that it is truth, Lord. You are truth. Thank you for your word. We love you. Amen. So I'm going to give you my thesis statement right at the beginning. It's at the top of your notes under the scripture, and I understand it is a big thesis statement, but, oh boy, it's not there, is it? Is the thesis statement... No big deal. You guys can read along on your page. Thesis. People are not made right with God, justified, saved by their own works, deeds, or performance, including by their, by their obedience to the law of God, including circumcision, Torah, but rather by the grace and mercy of God, which is found in the good news of Jesus Christ. And as such, there is nothing, no good work that I can do to earn or deserve everlasting life. I can only receive eternal life through repenting and putting my trust in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, life, death, burial, resurrection, on my behalf for salvation. So that's where we're going with this message. And judging by what we just read, the scripture, it might not seem like it's there, but it's there implicitly. So verse by verse, here we go. There we go. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So we see that Paul has already discussed these things with the Philippians. He says to write the same things, as in he's already written this, and he's saying, I'm willing to discuss it again. Why? Because it is safe for them. So if we read things in one sense and then another sense, as in he says it positively, it's safe to do it this way, meaning what? It's unsafe to not talk about such an issue. Does that make sense? So he says it is safe to discuss it. It's not safe to just leave it alone. So when he says it's safe to teach them again, it stands to reason that it is unsafe for him not to prepare them against such teachings. And when I thought about someone trying to rescue someone, because that's really what he's saying, he's saying it's safe for me to do this. I thought about um, rescuing people and I thought about a couple different 
videos I'd seen, this isn't a video, but it's an officer uh, saving someone from jumping off of a balcony. And that you see him, he actually grabs a hold of him. And then there's this guy in China. Anyone ever seen this video? He goes back and forth on this bridge every day because um, it's, a it's a bridge known as Suicide Bridge in China. So you can actually see he's rescuing that guy from jumping off right now. So he cares about his what? Safety, just as Paul cares about the safety of the Philippians that he's writing to. verse 2 next? Nope. Well, you guys have it written down, so. Uh, so verse 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So Paul uses the word look out, or beware, three different times, look at, perceive, discern, see. That's what the Greek implies, and I want to show you probably my favorite Bible study tool, which way Oh. So right here, this is called the Interlinear Bible, and I accidentally crossed it out, but it's BibleHub.com. If you want your Bible study to significantly ramp up, you know, people always talk about the Greek and the Hebrew, this, that, and the other thing. This is it. You can see the words right there. So finally, brothers of me, rejoice in the Lord. The same things to write to you of me indeed is not troublesome for you now is safe so we can actually go to the greek and look at these things and so um this is doesn't have much to do with the sermon i just want to kind of impart this thing to you so you guys can go home and look it up if you type in philippians 3 or any passage look up your favorite passage and you can do word studies just type in philippians 3 interlinear you see how it says it right that interlinear go ahead and write that down so Right here is that word, beware, beware of. He says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Let's see. So this is that word, look. I look, see, perceive, discern. Beware. So when he uses that word, look out, it can be reasonably construed to mean beware. As in, danger, right? Story time. So my friends and I, uh, when I lived in California, we used to play on uh, the train tracks and we would actually play on trains. Sometimes they would be moving, sometimes they wouldn't be, but we would actually, um, there was one of them that was across the street from a cemetery. And back to the pictures, across the street from a cemetery and we would jump in between the trains so that's actually a picture of me. No, it's not a picture of me. I found it off Google. But me and my friends used to do that kind of stuff, and we would play around on them. It's pretty fascinating that I'm alive, huh? So we're across the street from that cemetery, and I looked over there. And it was nighttime, and I saw something. And I don't know exactly what I saw. It could be um, the fanciful imagination of a teenage boy. Uh, it could have been the lights of a car. Um, couldn't find any Google image that looked even remotely close to it, but I saw something. What I think it was, it might not actually be. I think I saw a demon. Um, it was blue and red and covered in mist. It was really weird, and the, the closest thing I could find was something kind of like that, um, and kind of like that, kind of like those mixed together, and there was a, a, sh a figure right in there, and I just, and I saw it, and my blood turned to ice. And I said to my friends, look, look, right? Look, perceive, discern. Why? Because there was danger, something really scary, and I was concerned for their safety. Paul uses the word look. He's drawing our attention to something. What is that that he's trying to draw our attention to? Something that is dangerous. I thought this was dangerous. He's calling these people dangerous. So, first point. If we love people, we must warn them about danger and those that will lead them to it. And nothing is more dangerous than hell. And what is Paul wanting to warn this audience about, the Philippians? Dogs, evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. People. He's warning them about people. And 
we're going word by word. So we in the global West generally love dogs, right? I just was talking with someone who says that their dog sleeps in their bed. My dogs sleep in my bed too sometimes when Emma's out working. Um, but we, we tend to love dogs here, right? In the East, they despise dogs. If you've been to Africa, you've seen packs of dogs roaming around and they're really mangy looking. Um, and that's how Paul is taking that mangy, gross scavenger picture and applying it to people. He's saying these people are dangerous. They are a spiritual predator that feed off of others. So look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. An evildoer seems pretty straightforward. But the definition used in the Greek, again, we're going to go there, is quite grotesque. Now imagine that someone like Paul is using, who, who carries the weight of an ambassador of King Jesus, the creator of the universe, is saying these things about you. Bad, evil, harm, ill. Worthless, intrinsically worthless, depraved, bad, evil, harm, ill, noisome, wicked. So all those things are implied there. And that's actually a closer picture. So you can, biblehub.com. Awesome, awesome resource. So he's talking about people. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Next slide. This is that word, who mutilate the flesh. It, it's, the literal term is false circumcision. If you click on that number, you can see why it gets translated into uh, mutilate the flesh. Um, anyways, and this is where we're going to settle in for the message. The false circumcision. If you've spent any amount of time reading the New Testament, you, the phrase circumcision gets brought up a lot, and it seems kind of confusing in our Western ears. So, story time. Oh, wait, not story time. Slide time and then story time. A huge amount of the New Testament is geared at, aimed at, destroying this major attack on the gospel of grace. A huge amount of the New Testament is geared at, aimed at, destroying this major attack on the gospel of grace. Okay, now back to story time. So I used to live in central California, kind of near Yosemite, and we lived in the foothills of California. What else lives in the foothills of California? Rattlesnakes. So uh, we were out at a church. We have a ch- had a church kind of like this, big campus, and we're playing a big old game of tag at nighttime because we're doing a camp out. And do you need the slide again? No? Okay. So... Uh, me and the youth pastor's son, he was about five years old, we're running from the person who's it, and we run around the backside of a building, and under a light, probably 15 feet, right where these uh, cool little lamps are, um, I see something that looks like a stick, and Ryan runs right over top of it, and it lunges at him, and I yelled at him, and I said, I don't want to yell in this, but Ryan, stop. I yelled at him, Ryan, stop. Um, and he was already past it, and the snake is staying still. And so I, I saw it, and I thought to myself, I have to do something quick. If I just let it go, it's going to slither off. There's kids running around here all night. Who's to say it's not going to try to warm up on the concrete and bite another kid? So I had watched enough uh, Animal Planet and Bear Grylls and Steve Irwin to know exactly what to do. So I told Ryan, I said, Ryan, grab me a stick. So he got a stick. I held its head down, and I grabbed it right behind the head. And I mean, he was maybe this long, so he wasn't very big at all, but still deadly. And I grabbed him, and he rears his head back and just barely misses my fingers, thank goodness. So, but then I readjust, and I grab him, and, I'm, and I go to the youth pastor, and I'm like, what do we do? Like, you know, the, I can't just let him go. He's going to go back to his den. He's going to bite someone else. So we did the biblical thing, and we stoned it to death. So, in the same way that rattlesnakes are subtle and deadly, kill people, this subtle lie that we're going to discuss that Paul brings up almost in passing is subtle and deadly. Subtle and deadly. The lie that will lead more people to hell, 
I believe, than anything else is believing this. Believing that their performance, behavior, morality, ancestry will prevent them from spending an eternity in hell. And this is exactly what these people, known as the Judaizers, the false circumcision, as Paul calls them, the Judaizers were doing and teaching and propagating. These are the people he's warning them about. So next, fill in. Lie. The belief that one's performance, behavior, morality, ancestry, etc., will prevent them from spending an eternity in hell or earn them eternal life. So I use the word Judaizers, and they come up consistently in the New Testament. Once, once Jesus ascends back into heaven, they're right on the scene. They're very quick. They're called the circumcision party. And Paul refers to them as wolves in sheep's clothing. That's how you spell Judaizers. And it's probably hard to say, but it says, you are saved by grace with the asterisk and following the law. wolf in sheep's clothing, and they called themselves a circumcision, and what they taught was that a person was justified, made right with God, saved by obedience to the law of Moses, especially in regards to being circumcised, which we'll discuss the theology of shortly. And I'm going to show you from two chapters, Acts 15 and Genesis 17, to show you the scriptural basis they were using to do so. And these passages are narrative. They're really long, I get that, but they build on themselves, and I really want you guys to be able to understand this because it is applicable today. You know, no one's going around saying, hey, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved, but it it disguises itself in a completely different way today. Um, So, Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but you shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations." I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God." And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep, between me and you and your offspring after you. This is the covenant. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant." So we see here that in order for someone to be of the covenant people of God, in order to be in, in order to be part of the people by which God was making himself known, they had to be circumcised. It was a prerequisite. It was something you had to do in order to be part of them. Now it's not talking about salvation there. I didn't hear it anywhere. Next slide. Judaizers believed that through faith in Christ— and keeping the law of Moses, including circumcision, they would be justified on judgment day. When you get to it, circle the word and, or underline it, do something to really markate that word, because that's the key right there. 
Judaizers believed that through faith in Christ and they're adding to the gospel, keeping the law of Moses, including circumcision, they would be justified on judgment day. And we see this in the gospel of John when Jesus is debating with the Pharisees. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, they believed in him. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But they answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Later on, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. So we're going to go back. See right there, they say, Abraham is our father. And they're conflating that with, we have one father, even God. So they're saying, we are Abraham's children, therefore we're in. In God's people. Does that make sense? Next. There we are. Judaizers believed that because Abraham was their father, they would be saved. Judaizers believed that because Abraham was their father, they would be saved. And we also see John the Baptist talking about clinging to lineage, clinging to this descent from Abraham to be the people of God, saved, etc. Oh boy. Cool. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. This is John the Baptist. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise up from these, or able to, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So they say the same thing to John the Baptist. This is happening Matthew 3, so that's the beginning of the New Testament, all the way through to the end. People clinging to the fact, I've done something. I was born into this family. They circumcised me. Now I obey God. Now I'm in. I am saved. And what does John say? He says, the axe is laid at the root of the tree. You're this close from judgment. Next slide. No one will be justified, saved, by heritage, obedience to the law, or anything other than the gospel. No one will be justified or saved by heritage, obedience to the law, or anything other than the gospel. So these teachers, the Judaizers, added this covenant. They added Abraham's covenant and the covenant to Moses, the old covenant. They added these things to the new covenant in Jesus. They added to faith works. They added to their faith their works. They said, I stand before God justified because I did something to earn it. So as I said, it might not seem that applicable to us because we're not, you know, people aren't coming here saying, hey, you guys have to be circumcised. But what else will they say? Hey, if you're not baptized, you're not saved. Hey, if you're not speaking in tongues, you're not saved. Hey, if you're not doing this, you're not saved. And there's a million other reasons or a million other things that they bring up and say, whatever this thing is, it doesn't matter what it is. Whatever ordinance someone says that you have to add to faith, it's adding to the gospel. The whole book of Hebrews is about that specifically. So now, I think this is the last big block of text, but it's really important. Acts 15, 1 through 29. 
This is the first Christian council ever held specifically to obliterate this objection. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are uh, circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Cannot be saved. So adding to salvation your works. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, no small dissension, they argued. Why? Because this was dangerous, and it will lead people to hell if they believe their works get them into heaven. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the uh, conversion of the Gentiles, and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisee rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Fascinating. Believers. They had put their faith in Jesus, but not only their faith in Jesus. They put their faith in Jesus and then added to it, but I do this, but I do that, but I'm a good person, but I've been baptized, etc. That's what they say. So they're believers, and they say it is necessary to circumcise them and order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. Covenant people. Remember earlier, Abraham, the covenant was only in Abraham. God opened it up to us Gentiles. Thank God, because I'm not Jewish. And with, the, with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I, God, will return, and I will rebuild the temp- temp- tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who s- makes these things known from of old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. Not trouble. Not trouble. Not add all those other things as prerequisites to being saved. But we should write, them to, write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Then it seemed good to the apostles and elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and have troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. Next fill in. And God cleansed their hearts by faith. We believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So are you guys seeing how that works out? The Judaizers say we're part of the only covenant people of God. We put our faith in Jesus. God's only going to save Jews. And then, that's what the point of the book of Acts is about. God opens salvation to the Gentiles as well. So, story time. I'll give you a little bit of background on myself. Uh, So remember in the passage when it said that they, uh, some persons have gone out from us and have troubled you with words unsettling your minds. So I've struggled mightily with this exact issue. That's why I was bringing up at the beginning that it's fascinating that God gave me this passage. Because I, I was saved about 16, I think, probably. Believed in Jesus, I knew who he was, and I knew about him. But there was this false belief in my mind that was horrifically unsettling. So I, in my flesh, I tend towards the hyper-legalist side. And I tend, because I tend that direction, I was constantly plagued by the, the idea that I couldn't make it into heaven because I wasn't good enough. And I had been mentored by some Messianic Jews. If you don't know what that is, a Messianic Jew is someone who is of Jewish heritage, but trusts the Messiah, trusts in Christ. And there's some Messianic Jews that say, if you don't, just like the Judaizers, if you don't keep the law of Moses, you're not saved. These ones were not like that. But I could not, they said, you're saved by grace through faith, but I couldn't reconcile that in my own brain because I was so legalistic. So my mind was unsettled. Unsettled would be, even putting it mildly, I was legitimately suicidal for months because I knew I was going to hell because I knew I couldn't measure up to these standards. I would read the Old Testament and I would say, I can't do this. I can't do any of this. I mean, I can maybe do one or two, but I'm going to slip on the rest of them. And James says, if you break one precept of the law, you break the, you're a lawbreaker, you've broken the whole law. So I would be paralyzed, absolutely paralyzed. And the enemy was having a field day with me, sucking all joy and life out of me. And I would lay on the couch and not be able to move. I would think to myself, all my clothes are made out of two types of cloth. Anyone remember reading that verse? I'd say, my clothes are made out of two types of cloth. What am I going to do? Throw away my clothes? I can't afford new clothes. I'll walk around naked. Like, you know, uh, what about all these feasts and these festivals? And then I'd read uh, the Ten Commandments, and all these things say that they are statutes forever. I'd read the Ten Commandments, and I'd say, I've broken all of these. All of these, especially when Jesus says, if you've hated someone— you're actually a murderer. If you've coveted someone's stuff, you're a thief and an idolater, right? So Jesus actually elevates the law. So I I was even worse off. I was like, I can't do any of this. So I grew despondent, and I hated the idea of God's law because of a lie. And I knew that Jesus was God, that Jesus was Christ. I knew that Jesus was Lord and King, but I, I believed that I couldn't be in his family, that I wasn't actually saved because I could not earn a place out of my own strength. Next slide. Number eight. Believing the lie that there is anything you can do to earn salvation will drive you to either despair or self-righteousness. Believing the lie that there is anything you can do to earn salvation will drive you to either despair or self-righteousness. It drove me to despair. And it's really sad to say, I'd say a a huge amount of the American church is actually in the self-righteous category and think, if I ask them, why are you going to heaven? They generally wouldn't say, because I've been, you know, justified by Christ by grace through faith. 
they would say, well, I'm a good person, right? Back to the other slide. Pilgrim's Progress, it's the most important book ever written aside from the gospel, if you haven't, or aside from the Bible. If you haven't read it, write that down. Pilgrim's Progress, buy it, read it. It's a four, four or five hundred year old book. The most important book ever written, I'm telling you. So this guy, his name is Christian in the book. He finds a testament and he starts reading it. And he's, the, the weight of condemnation, that's what that pack is on his back, starts growing and growing. It starts off kind of small, you know, he can hardly touch it. And then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And it signifies the weight of condemnation and guilt that he's carrying around. And eventually he's crawling on his hands and knees, being crushed by this guilt absolutely crushed. And then uh, the evangelist says, hey, head towards the celestial city. Head, and so he starts walking, and he heads up this hill, and he sees the cross, and I'm getting chills thinking about it. If anyone saw the movie when we played it here, it was awesome. He gets up to the top of the hill. He sees the cross. He understands, and he goes, Jesus paid for my debt, and it unhitches from his back, falls down, rolls into an empty tomb, and this door closes over it. It's the cross that redeems us from that burden. I did not understand it. So, did you know that Satan uses scripture to deceive and tempt people? If you look it up in Matthew 4, he goes to Jesus when Jesus is fasting, and he uses scripture to try to tempt him and waylay his ministry. Satan says, for it is written— You know, he says, hey, do this thing, for it is written. So, in the same way that Satan has been using and twisting God's words to tempt even Jesus, he was doing that to me and wrecking me, making me all sorts of messed up. And that's what he is still doing. How many Christian cults are there in the world? A lot. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, um, Muslims are even technically a Christian cult because they give some amount of credence to Christianity and they say they're the fulfillment of Christianity. Even, is today Ash Ash Wednesday? Yeah, isn't that fascinating that today's even Ash Wednesday? There's people right now with ashes on their forehead who think that they're justified, made right with God because they have a little bit of burnt stuff on their forehead mixed with water. They think that makes them right with God. Even that, right? So these, these subtle lies... And that's exactly what Satan was doing with the Judaizers. So, Satan was using my legalistic nature and scripture to destroy me. But, God works everything together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And, my suffering produces hope. That's what Romans 5.1 says. Suffering produces endurance, endurance character, character, hope. So now, my hope is, is that someone here might be struggling with the enemy telling you, hey, you don't measure up. You can't measure up. You suck, <laughs> right? And he's going to do that it, consistently. And what's the, the one offense is truth. I want to show you guys, I want to inoculate us against the lie, about, against legalism and against works-based righteousness. I want you to be able to see that every religious system that comes to you and says, hey, you know, You're trusting in Jesus, but you have to add this thing from Satan, straight up from Satan. And this is the deadly snake bite that Paul was warning us about. He said, watch out. Next slide. Did I already do that one? Okay, number nine, hyper grace, believing that Jesus doesn't care if you sin. This is kind of an aside I'm pointing this out because I don't want anyone to think that I'm teaching against obedience to God. I'm not. I'm not teaching antinomianism, which means that we don't have to obey God, that we're saved. By grace through faith, we can just keep on sinning, right? Paul literally addresses those exact words in Romans 6. So, some people tend towards the hyper-grace side. I tend towards the legalist side. In in my flesh, some people tend toward the hyper-grace side meaning God doesn't care what people do. He's fine with everything. Sin isn't that big of a deal. Because, hey, Jesus paid for it. So neither that nor legalism are biblical or true. They're two opposite extremes. Satan uses both of them. 
and I just bring this up to make sure no one thinks that I'm teaching that. Hypergrace is sin just as much as legalism is. Legalism is has in it an element of works righteousness, meaning that our works, things that we do, just like they were clinging to uh, circumcision, some people cling to baptism. They say, I've been baptized, therefore I'm saved. Our works meriting or earning God's favor and salvation. We call this works-based salvation. Essentially, what this idea says is this. You have to earn your way to eternal life. And this is the calling card of all those false religions and cults. Works righteousness. Earn your way. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Make it yourself. They would say, I don't earn anything from anyone. I or I don't receive anything from anyone, I earn everything I get, and heaven is one of them. Legalism. Believing that your works merit salvation. Believing that your works merit salvation. And in Romans 3, this is just a side note, Paul actually says that faith is not a work. Faith is credited as righteousness to those who believe. Right? So I don't have that written down. I'm not going to go there. So legalism and grace are so frequently contrasted in the Bible, in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings, the dichotomy of being made right with God through self-effort, self-righteousness, self-will, hard work, etc., and being made right with God by what? Grace. Grace is opposed to self-righteousness because salvation is a gift that you receive. It is an undeserved unmerited gift. That's not what the Judaizers that Paul brings up were teaching. It had to do with their effort. And here is why um, we're camping so hard on this, even though Paul barely brings it up. You know, it's just in passing. He says the false circumcision brings it up in the next uh, three verses, and then he's done with it. Because all this stuff, they kind of, they, they would have known already. Paul would say this, Beware of these people who will entice you into believing that there's anything you can do to merit salvation. Beware of these people who will entice you into believing there's anything you can do to merit salvation. And every verse about circumcision that I've brought up so far was literally implicit in that little blip. He said, beware for the false circumcision, and then he's gone. He's moving on. Right? Bigger things, to, not bigger things to talk about. Anyways, he expected them to know this sort of background. And I won't read all the texts in the New Testament about um, the false circumcision or relying on circumcision, but I'm going to read a, a few of them and pay attention to how they're con- contrasted with grace. So Galatians 5, 2 through 4, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision— Christ will be of no advantage to you. Ah, pause. I want to talk about that for a second. If you accept circumcision, if you accept works-based righteousness, if you accept the fact, if you believe, not the fact, if you accept the lie that something you do makes you right with God, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Jesus died for nothing. You could have made it yourself. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision or works-based righteousness, that's how he's using the word, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace, you who would be justified by the law, you who would be made right with God through your own merits and actions. Galatians 6:15 For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, different book, he's saying the same thing, but keeps the commandment but keeping the commandments of God. Ephesians 2 Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, Judaizers, which is made in the flesh by hands, made in the flesh, merited, earned, deserved. Remember that you were at, one, at that time separated from Christ, 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, I love when it says that, like, but now or but God did this, because it's awesome. It's so hopeless before, right? No hope. Yeah, literally, no hopeless. And then, but now, in Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And this is Old Testament, so it's, it's not a new sort of thing. Jeremiah 4, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskins of your heart. It's always been a heart issue. It's never been a hands issue. It's never been what you do. It's always, why do you do what you do? It's always in here, because a lot of us can put a real pretty face on and, and live horrifically sinful lives in here, right? That's why Jesus says, if you hate someone in your heart, you're a murderer. If you look at someone with lust, you're an adulterer. If you desire someone else's stuff, you're an idolater. For circumcision, indeed, is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your, un- your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his circumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then, he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code, talking to Jews, and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. When he says no one is a Jew, he's using that in the term, no one is right with God. No one's in the covenant people of God. No one is in the in crowd going to heaven. He says, just because you're circumcised, uh, oh boy, outwardly and physical. It's a heart issue. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Galatians 2. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. I was reading my Bible when I was in this really messed up point, you know, this, this suicidal time when I was just like, I'm going to hell. I'm just done. Satan was, again, having a field day with me. I was reading these verses, and it just, right? Satan uses scripture or dulls scripture, puts a veil over people's eyes to make them not. This is plain stuff, right? You're not justified by works of the law. You're justified by faith. And all I could think of was, I need to do more. So here's an easy equation that I use. It's written in the front of my journal. I use it uh, when I'm doing street evangelism. I use it uh, in a lot of different circumstances. But next slide, number 12. Faith equals justification. Flowing from that, that's what that sign means, is works. And these are three different models. And I'm going to show you which one's the biblical one and which two are the unbiblical ones. Oh boy. Okay, I'm going to go fast. Faith plus works equals justification, or faith minus works equals justification. So, this is a timeline. As soon as you put your trust, your faith, believe in Jesus, right? You put your trust. I use the word trust because it makes a lot more sense instead of faith. Faith has been kind of uh, prostituted and really messed with. People say, well, I just believe it on faith. That's not biblical. Faith is trust. You all trusted those chairs when you sat down in them. You put your trust in that chair to hold you up. I'm putting my trust in Christ to hold me up on judgment day. From that faith is justification. He grants the grace of justification, and we're saved, period, no matter what. Then, from that, John 15, from that flows good works. Okay, that's the biblical one. So right next to that, do me a favor, write the word biblical. And you can write all those other passages from Ephesians 2, Galatians 2, Romans 3 through 5. Those all expound on this exact thing. And I didn't make this, by the way. That's a John Gerstner um, illustration. He's the one that taught R.C. Sproul. Okay, next to the second one. So faith 
plus works. Trusting Christ and adding works. Whatever it is, baptism, Ash Wednesday, circumcision, giving to church, helping kids, whatever. If anything you do, you, if you think that anything you do adds to your likelihood of being saved, you're not saved. That's exactly what he was talking about with the Judaizers. So, faith plus works equals justification. So that's wrong. Right next to that one, Judaizers and every other religion. Every other religion is works-based. Those that have a concept of uh, heaven, which, like, Buddhism doesn't really, so um, that one doesn't count, but it's still false. And then the third one, faith minus works equals justification. That's the hyper-grace thing I was talking about, that I'm saying that's just as unbiblical. Faith, believing in Jesus, but I don't have to do anything about it, and I'm still going to be saved. John 15, right? John 15 next to that, it is a lie. It's from Satan, and he has a whole lot of the modern church trapped in that, thinking, you know, I'm saved by grace, and I can just keep doing whatever I want to do. No heart change, no behavior modification, anything like that. We have the other three verses, but we'll end there. Um, Actually, we'll, we'll do verse three real fast. For we are the circumcision. We are the ones that are saved, who worship God by the, who worship this, by the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh, none. And then Paul lines out the things that he does that could, if, if he was to say, I trust in my flesh, I trust in the things that I've done, my good works, he lines them all out circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Back to the thesis, if you want to flip to the front. People are not made right with God, justified, saved by their own works, deeds, or performance, including by their obedience to the law of God, including circumcision, the Torah, but rather by the grace and mercy of God, which is found in the good news of Jesus Christ. And as such, there is nothing, no good work that I can do to earn or deserve everlasting life. I can only receive eternal life through repenting and putting my trust in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice, his life, death, burial, and resurrection on my behalf for salvation. Sorry if... uh, Angie Blanchon yells at you. She's probably going to yell at me for keeping you guys a few minutes over. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your gospel. Thank you for your good news that while I was still sinning, you died for me. Thank you that I don't have to earn it and that I'm no longer paralyzed by the fear um, that I'm going to end up in hell because I can't obey uh, the law perfectly. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much that you've saved us. Lord, Uh, Help this truth sink into our minds deep. Amen.